Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24 is where we will be in our time today as we continue making our way through the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. Now, in the hustle and bustle of our daily lives, I think all of us would affirm that we are busier than we ever have been. We often find ourselves caught up in the relentless pursuit of accomplishment and self-worth. Much of the way we think and feel about ourselves is based largely upon our achievements or what we are able to gain in this life. And often, even within Christian circles, although it may not be explicitly stated in It certainly can be implicitly believed, but we often believe that our standing with God is determined by our efforts or our merits or our achievements. However, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we encounter a truth that stands in stark contrast to the prevailing narrative of self-reliance. This is where the message of the gospel is so sweet to us because the anthem of our secular world is independence. You are your own person. You are you. You are whatever you want to be. Therefore, there is true freedom in independence. But what the gospel tells us is the exact opposite. True freedom comes through dependence. Now, this passage we will spend time in today opens with a striking image. Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit at the Father's revelation. And so it's, 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 it's a scene that captivates our attention and calls us to kind of pause and ponder what Jesus is saying in this moment. Why is the Son of God rejoicing, given that He has turned His face toward Jerusalem for the sole purpose of His crucifixion and absorbing the wrath of God on behalf of His people? What is the source of this joy that transcends the limits of human understanding? Well, as we will see, In the simplicity of Jesus' words, he unveils a deep reality. That is, we are not saved by our own wisdom, our own understanding, or our own efforts. Rather, salvation is a result of God's sovereign and gracious will. An act of divine revelation that transcends human intellect. Jesus rejoices in the divine revelation of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating the hearts of those whom He will save. And here is why this is important for you and I today. In a 2018 study performed by the Neuroscience News, they reported that religious people have a lower intelligence than atheists. That is, through their test, based on 12 different cognitive skills, they determined that those who had a religious persuasion were less intellectual than those who denied God altogether. 
If that be so, welcome to the clown show we call church. Now, I think if any of us read any popular works by prominent atheists or agnostics, and I'm sure some of you most likely have, there are a variety of those works that have become uh, widely popular over the last 20, 25 years, we will walk away with the understanding that the secular world indeed thinks itself much more intellectual than the Christian world, often using this very thing as a reason for which they reject the gospel. And to a degree, you may have felt that way as well at some point in your life. You may not know all of the apologetic arguments to defend the faith, and deep down you feel like you lack the intellect that others have, and you may feel inferior because of that. Yet what Jesus communicates to us in this passage, a truth that you and I need to grab a hold of, that you and I need to embrace, and that you and I need to glory in, is the fact that the revelation of God's redemptive plan is not dependent upon our intellect. It's not dependent upon our education, and it's not dependent upon our achievements. Again, it is an act of God's gracious will a deliberate choice by our Heavenly Father to unveil the mysteries of salvation to those who approach Him with childlike faith. And as we walk through this passage, let us confront our own tendencies to rely on our own efforts for salvation. Let us humbly acknowledge that like little children, we stand in need of God's divine revelation. And in our humility, we discover that God's grace is not a transaction, it is a transformation. It's not a result of our achievements, but a manifestation of His loving and sovereign will. And let us rejoice with Christ that the Father has revealed the Son to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, giving us His divine revelation. And let us glory in the gospel. This morning we pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of His word. If you are able, would you stand as we read Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. The Word of God reads in Luke 10, 21 through 24, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Pray with me. God, give us eyes to see this morning a work that is not contingent upon our own intellect, upon our own knowledge, or upon our own understanding, but a work that is 100% totally dependent on your grace. May your spirit work among us as your word is proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we consider this prayer of Jesus, we must understand that this prayer is given 
in an attitude of joy that Jesus, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, is now inclined by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit we see, to a profound sense of joy as he addressed the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So this is a Trinitarian text all the way through. And we are a Trinitarian people. We just confess that together in singing this song. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. One God who exists in three persons as has been revealed to us through God's inspired word, the Scriptures. And if we remember back to last week's text particularly verse 20, and there's no time gap between verse 20 and verse 21. If we look at verse 20, we saw that Jesus rejoiced and told his disciples to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. And so in other words, Jesus is overflowingly joyful in verse 21 as we pick up at the reality of his disciples' salvation, that their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, that their names are written in heaven. And amid rejection, amid confrontation, and amid growing opposition, Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit with supernatural joy because his joy is not grounded in circumstances, but grounded in the eternal truth that all the Father gives to him will come to him. And not only were their names written in heaven, but the Father was accomplishing their salvation in such a way that the wise and understanding were confounded. And instead, he gave blessings to the simple and the meek. This brings me to the first observation I want to make from this text. Rejoice in the revelation of God to the childlike. Rejoice in the revelation of God to the childlike. Look at the first part of verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, let me make this quick disclaimer before we move uh, forward, before we proceed. We may have a tendency to take this verse and make it mean something that it's not intended to mean. We need not take this verse or any other verse that equates faith with children as a license to remain unlearned or uneducated about the Scriptures and the things of God. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And as Christians, our desire is to, or should be to, know God. Well, we ask the question, how do we know God? Well, we know God through reading His Word. This does not mean that we have to read great big theology books. It doesn't mean that at all. But we at least must, as believers, immerse ourselves in the Scriptures that enable us to love and know God better. And so do not take this as a license to remove your brain from your faith in Christ. Don't take it as that at all. Instead, what Jesus is telling us here is that instead of showering His grace on the religious leaders or the respectable people in this culture, God was bringing into His kingdom the spiritual equivalent of little children. That is the immoral tax collectors. That is the uneducated fishermen. And so this points us back to chapter 1 and Mary's Magnificat in that God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
The so-called wise and learned of this age devote, them, their, devote their endless energy toward the pursuit of knowledge, toward the pursuit of wisdom. They lean wholly on their own understanding, trusting in their intellectual capabilities to comprehend even the deep things of God Himself. But our Heavenly Father looks past these proud philosophers. He looks past these scholars, bypassing the haughty academics who exalt human reason above divine revelation. And instead, the Lord looks toward the hearts of the lowly and the humble, graciously granting revelation to those who come, not asserting their own intellect, but rather approaching the throne of grace with simple childlike faith. Well, why does the Father bypass the self-assured scholar? Why does the Father bypass the esteemed professor to lift the veil for the unassuming child? Why does God deny insight to the world's greatest geniuses, yet illuminates the minds of the simple? Because it pleases Him to do so. In His infinite wisdom and in His matchless mercy, God rejects the proud and gives grace to the humble. He passes over princes to exalt paupers. The Father chooses the weak to shame the strong. He makes the foolish foolish to shame the wise. He adopts orphans to become His heirs. This is our God. Jesus identifies God as the sovereign one of all creation, the one who governs all things in creation. Everything in the universe is under His authority, all of which Jesus tells us in verse 22 has been handed over to Him, including the right to bring down the proud and exalt the humble. Jesus rejoices not in the fact that sinners are blind to God's truth, but because the understanding of truth does not depend on natural abilities or education. If that were the case, everyone would be shut out of the kingdom. No one can see the kingdom of God unless it is revealed to him. God could reveal... The fact that Jesus is the Christ to everyone if he so desired. But he chose to reveal it to those whom he purposed to save. Jesus is rejoicing in the reality that God has and is revealing this truth to his children. And though we are but children in this life, small and frail, if you will, even the strongest, utterly dependent creatures, dependent on everything, dependent on God for our next breath. God in His great love has chosen to lavish His marvelous light upon us through His Son. How great is our God? How wondrous are His ways? Who are we to question the judgments of the Almighty? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways beyond tracing out. Though Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, He came not to impress the intellectual elite, but to save sinners like you and me. 
Consider the revelation that we've been given in God's Word. The glorious mysteries that once were hidden, now made known to us through Christ. Plots and plans from ages past, now unveiled for children like you and I to grasp. Doctrines and truths that philosophers of Greece and Rome could never have conjured up. Insights into the very nature and character and work of the Almighty God Himself. We have access to the mind of Christ through the Spirit. We have received the knowledge of the Holy. And by His grace, the infinite being of the universe resides even in these humble jars of clay. How can we respond to such a revelation but in awe and in wonder and in joyful gratitude for the treasures of Christ our King has, for what He has lavished upon us? Let us rejoice this day that we have been received, that we have received the revelation of God. Second observation, rejoice in God's gracious will. Rejoice in God's gracious will. Look at the second part of 21 and 22. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. You've revealed these things not to the wise and understanding, but you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one, who the, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The salvation that Jesus brings is a matter of great joy for us and for Him and for the Father as we're told as it comes to us in accordance with His good, perfect, and gracious will. The divine Savior by whom and for whom all things were made looks upon the Father's gracious decision to confound the, pr the proud and enlighten the childlike and He rejoices in that. The Lord of heaven delights in and affirms the Father's wisdom in passing over kings and sages to reveal truth to fishermen and peasants. What an example this is for us to follow. I know that all of us have probably seen uh, or, or thought to ourselves when we watch TV and we see celebrities or this person or that person, we go, God, if you would save that person, think of the influence they would have. God chooses the lowly. And in a world that questions the wisdom of God at every turn, Jesus here in this moment demonstrates what wholehearted trust and delight in the Father's will looks like. You see, this is something that you and I can relate with. It's easy for us, and we've all done it. Probably maybe some of us are doing it now, and we most likely will do it again in the future. But it's easy for us living in this fallen creation to question the ways of God. When tragedy strikes, when hardship comes when failure overtakes us, when loved ones do not confess Christ and follow after Him, we wonder what God is doing and why God is doing it. And here Jesus with His face set toward Jerusalem and the cross before Him and the crucifixion that awaits Him, Jesus rejoices in the gracious will of God to bring about salvation even though it's going to come at such, high, such a high cost. Though loftier minds stumble over the foolishness of the cross and cannot comprehend why God would hide truth from the intelligent, Christ rejoices in such paradoxes. 
He celebrates the upside-down economy of the kingdom that exalts the humble rather than the haughty. And unlike skeptics and critics who recoil at God's unexpected methods, Jesus embraces the Father's wisdom with joyful submission. The Son models for us, Jesus the Son, an unwavering obedience and faith in the Father's plans. For he understands that divine wisdom far exceeds all human reason. Though Christ himself is the power of God and the wisdom of God, bringing all the treasures of knowledge with him, we do not find him second-guessing in this moment the Father's choices or arguing with his ways. No, Jesus rejoices in full assurance that what seems foolish to the world reflects the boundless wisdom of our Heavenly Father and His gracious will. This takes my mind to Romans chapter 9 when Paul is writing about Jacob and Esau and God's sovereign choice over Jacob and Esau. And Paul is clear that it was God who made the choice, not Jacob or Esau. And then Paul then asks this rhetorical question, what then shall, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? He says in verse 14. And he answers that question with by no means and then reminds the people of what Moses, of what God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And we rejoice, church, in the reality that the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to us through His Spirit. Our eyes have been opened because of the, God, the sovereign, gracious will of God. And we can trust not only in His will for our salvation, but His will for every aspect of our lives. And He is able to do this. And He is trustworthy because all things have been handed over to Him by the Father. He has the perfect power, the perfect wisdom, and the perfect authority to make such judgments. There are many times when we look upon salvation or we look upon things that transpire in this life and we beg God for answers. And yet, we don't receive the answers we want, right? There are many times that we seek understanding during various periods of life where there seems to be none. But we must remember as Isaiah declared in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Church, we would do well to kneel in humility before such words, acknowledging that though we cannot always trace God's hand, we can always trust His heart. We can always trust that He is in control. We can always trust that He has our good in mind. So let us follow the example of Jesus who prayed in the garden before His crucifixion, not my will, but your will be done. The very one who knows what the will of the Father holds for Him, yet rejoices in the Father's gracious will. Let us share in His delight over the Father's will rather than grumbling over our inability to fully comprehend it.
God does not answer to us, but we answer to Him. It is our role to submit to Him in faith, not to argue in doubt. The potter does not require approval from the clay that he is molding. Paul exhorts the Romans in 11, 33-36, So the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Even in our lack of understanding, we can trust in the goodness of God, knowing that He's working everything in this life toward our good. That is, eternity spent with Him in the new heavens and new earth. And although the troubles of life often captivate us, God's goodness and His gracious will for us does not and will not change. So church, rather than relying on our own understanding, let us anchor our hearts in the true wisdom found only in Christ Jesus our Lord. For He is the radiance of the glory of God, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ alone. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For, in, in, for by Him all things were created, both visible and invisible. He sustains all of creation by the power of His Word. Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And this Jesus, the one through whom all things were created, went to the cross on our behalf and rejoiced in the salvation that He bought for all of those who would turn from their sin and trust in Him. And He did this because He loves us. And so as we reflect on this passage and as we reflect on God's gracious will, may we respond as Christ did, praising and rejoicing over the sovereign choices of our Heavenly Father. And though His dealings with mankind perplex and confound the wise and the understanding, we who have been given eyes to see bow in lowly surrender, knowing God's ways lie far above our ability to comprehend. And we need to be okay with that. In our natural state, we don't know who God is. That's what Jesus is telling us here. We may know that He is, but we do not know who He is. We do not know who Christ is. The only one who knows the Son is the Father, and the only one who knows the Father is the Son, and the ones to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And may we rejoice in God's gracious will for us, and may we always pray that the Son would reveal Himself to those whom we love, and that they would turn to Him in repentance and faith. Third observation. Rejoice in the blessing of seeing eyes. Rejoice in the blessing of seeing eyes. Look at verses 23 and 24. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. When we consider, this is significant, when we consider the nature of what Jesus is saying in this moment, 
and how it correlates to our own salvation, this is unbelievably humbling. The very Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah in whom all of history finds its meaning, announces that those uneducated men before Him are blessed beyond measure simply because they've seen Him and heard Him. They have beheld the glory of the Lord with their own eyes and honor unmatched since the foundation of the world. And Christ affirms here that many prophets and kings of old earnestly longed to see and hear what the disciples were freely witnessing in, in that moment. Consider the saints of old. Think about this. We read through Scripture. We read of these powerful men of God. Think about Abraham resting under the stars, leaving the land of his father, not knowing where he was going. He was in search of a city that was not the work of man's hands, but whose builder and maker was God. Think about Moses lifting his staff before the Red Sea, or David composing psalms of longing and hope. Think about Elijah and Isaiah and so many others. Generation after generation cried out in hopeful expectancy for the arrival of the Anointed One. Prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah century after century, yet, these, yet even these men, these great men of God, could only catch faint glimpses and shadows of Christ's glory to come. Moses beheld a veiled radiance upon Sinai. Isaiah glimpsed the train of God's robe in the temple. David composed psalms filled with messianic longing, but none could fully grasp the wonders that were, be to, were to be revealed in Jesus. And as Christ declares, many longed to see what you see, but did not. All of those guys, all of those individuals... They long to see it. The ones we're still talking about today. We could name those prophets. But we may not be able to name all the twelve disciples. Yet here stand Christ's uneducated, nobody disciples, face to face with the living Word Himself, immersed in the light of His presence, privileged to know the Son of God in ways unmatched by even the godliest forefathers. Praise God for the blessing of being born in this age of fulfillment. When the darkness of night has passed and the light of Christ has dawned at last. We are, church, we are the fortunate heirs of fulfilled prophecy. Recognizing the realities which past saints could only dream of. And make no mistake, church, you and I are as equally blessed as these awestruck disciples. For while we do not physically walk with Christ as they did, we too have open access to the wonders they beheld through God's written Word and His indwelling Spirit. We have received eyes to see if you're in Christ and ears to hear. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, 
the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. We need not rely on mere signs and shadows for the fulfillment has come. The Spirit has been poured out and truth marches onward by the power of the risen Christ. And though prophets longed for this day, the privilege is now ours. We behold the glory of the Father displayed in the Son through the Word enlivened by the Spirit. And what grace this is, church. What a blessing, undeserved, in accordance with God's gracious will. If you've turned from your sins and trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, blessed are your eyes, for they see Christ. If you haven't done so, the judgment of God is upon you. But the good news today is that it's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. And I'd love to talk with you more about that after the service, if that is you. If you've seen Christ, blessed also are your ears. For you have heard the voice of the Good Shepherd. Blessed are your souls, for He knows you by name, and your name is written in heaven. You have received what prophets long for, yet never witnessed. You embrace the hope of Israel fulfilled. And so church, rejoice in that blessing. Delight in drawing near to Christ through His Word and His Spirit. Come now to the table He has prepared for you that you may feast your eyes on Him. Yet again, drink deeply from the eternal Word. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and partake of joy everlasting, for this is our God. And He shall be our guide forever.